But first, what I want to do is, well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the first slide. I'm not going to work the slides from up here because there's a lot of text this morning, so I'm going to read from my Bible. You can read along up there. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the Bible, that it's your word that reveals who you are, Lord. And I pray this morning that that revelation would continue deep into our souls. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. First slide, William. It's from Matthew chapter 13. It says this, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled that was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus told stories. Jesus taught through stories. He liked to call them parables. Parables are stories with a meaning. Stories that have a purpose behind them. Stories that had a lesson. And some people understood the lesson to be gleaned from those stories. Well, what Jesus was talking about. What thing that he wanted to reveal about God through that. And some people didn't. Now, if you spend any time reading your Bible, you will come to the realization that story is the way that the Bible communicates who God is. The Bible is primarily a collection, a library of stories. And yes, throughout the Bible, we'll have, we'll have poetry in there, we'll have letters, we'll have prayers, there's history. But the main, the main thrust of the Bible is, is a narrative. It is a story. You have the story of creation. You have the story of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You have the story of of, um, Joseph. You have the story of Joshua. You have the story of Moses. You have the story of the judges. You have the story of the kings. Ultimately, you have four gospels written of the story of Jesus. And so the Bible follows people throughout centuries of time and the Holy Spirit takes all of these stories and weaves them all together to create this library that we have of the revelation of the character and the nature of who God is. It's found, it's based in story. Now, David's story in the Old Testament is probably the biggest, most detailed story in the entire Bible about a single person. We know more about David's life from start to finish than we know about anyone else in the scriptures. And even people who don't go to church, they know kind of bits and pieces of David's story, right? Everybody knows David and Goliath, but there's other parts of it. There's the story of him and Bathsheba. There's his time with Saul. There's his time on the run. There's his time with Jonathan. There's the time where he dances naked, well, in his BVDs in front of the ark. And there's all these other stories about David. We know more about him from start to finish than anybody else in the Bible. And so his life plays out in the pages of the scriptures. 
And it's written as a story. Our lives are really a story. We live the story that we write, that God writes. I'm hoping that you allow God to write your story and you don't try to hijack the pen from him. I mean, think about it. Our lives have beginnings and endings. We have character development, at least I hope so. Conflict and resolution. I must say sometimes in my life it feels like there's a lot more conflict than resolution, but it's in there. It's, and that's what the things that make a good story. There's a beginning, there's an ending, there's character development, there's conflict, there's resolution. All of these things take place in our lives. Our lives are a story. See, life is not some some group of abstract ideas and emotions. Things like love and trust and fear and hate and salvation and sin and repentance. They're just not these things that are out there. There are things that we experience in our humanity. And as those things play out in our life, we, cre- we live this idea of story. And they're all interdispersed. Our lives aren't lived in some abstract place. This isn't the matrix where you're all really stuck in a big puddle of ooze hooked up to wires. You're actually living this life. And our lives are written as a story. God would send his son Jesus into the story of humanity and write an amazing, beautiful story of salvation. You know, but somewhere along the line, and I've told you this over and over again, we have lost well, we haven't lost. We've, we've picked up the bad habits uh, about reading the Bible. See, we read the Bible like it's our owner's manual. We read the Bible like it's, it's the basic instructions before leaving earth. Like this is, this is all about our moral compass. This is our manual for theology. And so then we take all of this stuff, all of these rules and these regulations, and we put expectations on ourselves. And I would say that some of you have put expectations on yourself that God himself has not imposed on you. But we read it that way. We read the, and see the Bible is not something that we're to add to our list of behaviors, our list of moralities. The Bible actually invites us into itself. The Bible invites us into its story because this is the revelation of who God is. And God is continually inviting us into himself. And so we are invited into the Bible. It's not just this set of rules we're just supposed to add to our lives. And then even even in Sunday school, I mean, I'm sure you remember those of you who grew up in church being in Sunday school, children's church. And he had the flannel graph, right? And he had, he had those biblical characters up there, those men and those women. And, and you were taught that, that you, you wanted to be like them. You wanted to really live your life like one of them. Like you wanted to have the, the, the strength and the faith of David or Abraham. Or you wanted to be like Paul and go on missionary journeys. Nobody ever wants to be um, what's a Stephen, the guy that got thrown rocks at until he was dead. I mean, nobody picks him. But we, we put all these other people up there and we try to be like those people. We try to live our lives like they lived their life. And it gives us something to strive for. And it gives us a bar that we've raised. But only through time do we realize that we never seem to get there. 
We never seem to get to that bar. We never, get, we never seem to get to be like David, like Paul, like Abraham, like whoever else you wanted to be in the Bible. See, the story of David, it, it doesn't give us some superhero that, that we're, tr- we're supposed to try to emulate. The story of David is not about him being the super king, and we want to be just like David. The story of David is about a man in all of his humanness becoming a man of God, living his life, get this, living his life with God, in the presence of God, in response to God. And we watch the Lord manifest himself in David's life over and over again because the reality of it, yes, he was King David. He did all these great things. But David, in reality, he was kind of a crappy parent. Just laying it out there. David was an unfaithful husband. And he was a murderer. He was a brutal warrior who killed people cut their heads off, slit their throats, did all kinds of groovy, nasty things. Yes, God had asked him to do those things, but he did it better than anyone. Saul killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, the Bible would write. And then he wrote poetry. Who, who go, go figure. But his entire life, his entire life was lived his entire life was lived out experiencing the things of God. And what made David David was that he would respond to those experiences with the Lord. See, we all, we, we can't get away from God. Nobody runs from God. I mean, you can run from God, but you, but, but you can't. God is everywhere in, in, in all things. God, you, you just, it just, you know, you just can't get away from him. You could choose to ignore him. You can choose not to join him in his things. You can choose not to pursue him. But it doesn't mean God is less God. It just means that we are less in our humanity. And David's life is a story of becoming more human through the ebb and the flow of a life lived with God. His, he, was, he was just lived this common life. But it was shaped by his responses to the Lord. And God created and wrote this story for his glory. And through his life he became aware of grace and mercy in the midst of trial and error. In the midst of, in the midst of success in failure, you see, David's story is our story, and our story is is David's story. And so, we're going to spend the summer looking at the story of David. So, let's go to the first bunch of slides again. I'm going to read this from my Bible. It's just going to be easier. We made the text big because last week I know I saw lots of squinting going on, and Will is going to move those forward as we go. This is 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled 
When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by Samuel. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. It's the beginning of the story of King David. Now Samuel, by now, he's an old man. He's lived many years as a prophet. And he's, he's, he's an intense kind of guy. Okay, when, when he came around, people kind of got nervous. And, and, and when he showed up, it could mean trouble. It could mean, usually Samuel wasn't dispatched to say, you're doing a great job. Usually he was bringing some doom and gloom, some fire and brimstone, you know what I'm saying? And so when he shows up, even the people are like, yo, man, we cool, bro? And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm here just to sacrifice, all right? And, and so, so it kind of lets the steam off for some people. They're, they're feeling a little bit better. Um, but Samuel's sent by God there. And even Samuel's a little nervous. Because what the Lord has asked him to do is commit treason to the king. He's there to find the next king while the other king is in place. And he's worried that Saul is going to find out. And Saul is going to send people or come himself and kill him. But he's like, okay, the Lord has sent me here to do this. I'm going to set up shop. He sets up shop, does what he's got to do. And the interview process begins. And Eliab comes by and he thinks, man, this has got to be the guy. He's built like a linebacker. This has to be the Lord's anointed. And God's like, yeah, okay, listen, Sam. Remember when you picked out Saul for me and he was a head above everybody else and he was a good looking dude? Remember, remember that? Don't look at the outside. See, the Lord looks at the inside. The Lord looks at the things that are important. This is not the guy. Don't make the same mistake twice. Samuel says, okie dokie. Son number two comes by, Abinadab. Yeah, not so much. He walks on by. And then the next son comes by. In some, in some translations, they have his name as Shemiah. He doesn't get the nod either. And what happens is something that's very curious in the biblical narrative in the text. The names of the sons stop being named. And we know that other sons walked by, and each time, each son got the big poo-poo. No, not him. No, not him. And it comes to the end, and, and Samuel scratches his head. He's like, wait, the Lord has sent me here to anoint 
a king. He sent me to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, said he was going to anoint one of his sons. How can this be? Like, like nobody has passed the test. And so, and so Samuel asked the questions, man, do you have any more kids? And Jesse says, well, yeah, we have, there's the youngest. He's out in the field and he's watching sheep. And Sam says, well, go send for him. We're not sitting down until he gets here. And so he gets sent for the youngest, the baby brother out of all of the brothers. The Hebrew phrase that Jesse would use to say the youngest or the, the baby carries the meaning of being insignificant, not having much value in the, fa- in the family. The brothers, I could imagine, were just shaking their head like, you're calling him in from the field, really? Look at, look at us in him. In fact, David was given the lowest job in the family. The job that he could cause the less damage in if he messed things up, if things went wrong. That's why he ga- they gave him the job of shepherd. Because he can do the least amount of damage in the family business. The youngest brother, the baby brother, was looked upon as not being qualified to do anything of any real importance. In fact, so much so that they didn't even think to call him in when Samuel got there. Just let him stay out there. We've got all these other hunky type of dudes that are going to, they got to be the Lord's anointed. But the youngest was insignificant. He didn't have much value. He wasn't worth much, at least in the eyes of his family. I wonder, I wonder how many of you feel that way or have felt that way in your life. Maybe, maybe growing up you were made to feel insignificant or not important because you had a sibling or a cousin that was just so much better in whatever they did. Maybe, maybe the biggest hope for you is that you wouldn't end up in jail or that you would just get a job that you can support yourself and not live at home for the rest of your life. But you were made to feel not worth much or insignificant. Maybe... Maybe you're feeling that way right now. In whatever setting that you find yourself in, you just you don't feel important at your job or you don't feel important in your family or you don't feel significant in your family or in your job or maybe you don't even feel significant here in church. And you just sit and kind of fill the seat every week because it's kind of what you're supposed to do and you're just, you just don't look upon yourself with any real significance. Maybe that's it. You don't look at yourself as being important or significant. You have very low self-esteem. Maybe you've set some goals in the past and you've had some expectations about your life and you, you just haven't met those expectations yet. You haven't achieved those goals or maybe you tried and you just outright failed in those things. And you've blown it and you have given up on you. And you feel insignificant and not worth much. And you beat yourself up every day. Maybe you don't even look in the mirror because you don't like what you see. You don't like the image that's looking back. I think, I think all of us have been there at one time or another in our life. In some season in our life where we felt that just 
We don't amount to much. We're not worth a lot. We feel just insignificant, like we're not making any contribution to, to anything. It's the way David's family viewed him. You know, and I was thinking through this story. I wonder if he felt the same thing. I wonder if he sat out in the fields watching these sheep, feeling the insignificance of how his family viewed him, feeling like he wasn't worth much. Yeah, they sent me out to watch a stupid sheep so I don't mess anything up. And he just sat out there day after day after day as his family looked down on him. But we know the story, don't we? See, David comes in from the field and God says to Samuel, that's my boy, anoint him. That's my boy, anoint him. And he, he wasn't called because people saw all this leadership potential in him. He wasn't called because he had a proven track record of getting things done. He wasn't called because people, people looked up to him. In fact, his entire family looked down upon him, including his own dad, the youngest insignificant one. He is out in the field watching the sheep. But God calls him. And God brings him in. And God anoints him for his own purposes. Insignificant in the world's eyes. But not in God's eyes. You know, it's more than coincidence that David's story is put in the Bible. It's more than coincidence that his story is probably the biggest, most detailed story of of anyone. From, his, from him being a young man to him being an old man, his whole life is captured in the pages of Scripture. How he lived his life in the presence of God, in response to God, being called by God, living with God. All of the ups and downs, the failures and successes, the sin and the redemption in his life. His whole amazing story is in the Bible. And guess what? David was just a ordinary person. He was just an ordinary type of guy. In fact, he had some bad blood in his lineage. He was no one special. Just an ordinary dude. Maybe we can say that he he was a lay person. I want you to understand that this part of the story In fact, David's whole story is speaking to each one of you this morning. The story says to you, yep, you are probably just an ordinary person. Ordinary men and women. You may lack social status. You don't have lots of money. Or again, at least you're not tithing on that lots of money. Some of you might be college educated. Some of you might not be. Some of you have a high school diploma. Some of you may not have finished high school. You have normal everyday jobs. No high status position in your companies. You're just a bunch of everyday, normal, average, live in the grind, everyday people of Oasis. You're welcome. Just keeping it real. But you have been called through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to live the purposes of God.
You have been called. Not because you're popular. Not because of your potential, your leadership potential or your abilities. Not because you got money. Not because you're, you're highly educated. You have been called in spite of you. I guess, I guess the question is, will you answer that call and live your life and the purpose that God would have for you? You know, all too often in evangelical type of world, um, the, the, the real, the real uh, seemingly important spiritual stuff is left to the pastors and the priests or, or the, uh, the church leaders, right? Many of you, for many of you, uh, your only form of exegesis of the scriptural text is from me on Sunday morning. And if you don't know what that phrase means, Google it. I had to. And, and, and it's, only, it's only from me. The only exegesis you get of scriptural text is from me on Sunday morning. And, and in part, I am honored that you would trust me in that. And another side of me, I am deeply troubled by that. And then many of you, many of you will call me to pray for you. And to pray for other people. And I want you to know. I want you to trust that I will pray for you. In fact, many times when I get the text, the email, the phone call, I will pray for you right then and there. I have prayed with many of you over the phone. But you, you listen to me on Sunday morning. And you call me for prayer because I'm the pastor. And so I must be more spiritual than everyone else. Or maybe, maybe I have a, a better connection to God. God listens to me a little bit more than, you know, just you ordinary common average folk out here. And so when I pray, God's like, oh, hang on. Yo, Jesus, Dennis is praying. Let's listen to this. And now you laugh at that, but in part... It's true for some of you. That's the truth. And I am honored to be called your pastor. But contrary to your popular belief, obviously, I am just an ordinary guy. Hold your gasps. I am just a regular, ordinary guy. No one is calling me to ask me to write a book no one is calling me for national conferences to speak on how Oasis is so successful and how did we pull this off. We get like four hits on our podcast every week. And most of it's from you who miss church. Nobody knows about me. Maybe... Maybe the only difference between you and I is that I am learning every day the power that is in prayer. I mean, deep, contemplative prayer, meditating on the scripture, prayer, coming before God in chunks of time, prayer. And maybe the only other thing is that that might be different from me and you is that I am learning and trusting more and more every day. Who I am in spite of myself and who Christ is inside of me. Maybe that's the only difference. But that doesn't make me extra special. At least, 
Well, I'm special to my mama. But, in, but other than that, I'm an ordinary guy. Just like all of you. You know, in First Peter, he writes that we are to become a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Both me and all of you. And, you know, we give Peter credit for that idea. But it's, it was written long before that in Exodus 19, when God, God says that you people will become for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You see, God's people are no longer to have priests. God's people are now to become priests. We are to become them, all of us, every single one of us. In our ordinariness, ordinariness, ordinariness. I don't know if that's a word. Throughout generations upon generations, people have had to wrestle with that idea. What is it like? What, what is it? What does a priest do? What does a priest look like? What does a priest say? How does that play out in my own life story? I mean, how does that play out in in like 2013? Well, I'll tell you this much. A priest, a priest will introduce people to God or introduce God to people. It's pretty simple. A priest will take part in sacred things. A priest will create sacred moments. A priest will recognize sacred times in the midst of just everyday mundane life priest will point people to the sacred. A priest will make those sacred experiences visible for others to see and to experience. As God's creation, we have this very unique, divine, sacred connection to him. And a priest will live that connection out in the world. Maybe you don't feel like a priest. Maybe, maybe you don't dress like one. Hello. Maybe you don't talk like one. But those things don't make you a priest. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you makes you a priest. Follower of Jesus, you are a priest in spite of yourself because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And you've been called to live in the purpose with God. That's David's story. It's our story. The same Holy Spirit that lived in David lives in each one of you. The same Holy Spirit that made David king lives in each one of you. David, that insignificant, ordinary shepherd, is a priest. He would introduce people to God, and he would introduce God to people. He had no special training. He didn't hold any special seminary degrees. He didn't dress really cool. Well, maybe not until the end. He was just a guy the youngest in his family, but a guy that entered, 
a guy that uh, answered God's call to live his life with God. Now, I'm going to do a little experiment. I hope this works. I want you all to think for a moment. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Think about a person in your life. Think about a person in your life. It could be past. uh, It could be in the present. Think about a person in your life that has had a big significance, a large significance on your spiritual growth, in your spiritual life. Someone, maybe, maybe they led you to Jesus. Maybe this person led you to Christ and they just, they just spoke blessing and life into you. Maybe, maybe this person discipled you early off or, or even now. And they discipled you into a, a deeper place of maturity with Christ. Maybe this person just lived life as Jesus would live life in front of you. And, and the person was just loving and caring. And there was just something different you noticed. And they invited you in to do life with them. I want you to think of that person for a moment. Now, I'm, maybe, maybe some of you don't have that person in your life. And that's okay. But think, if there was a person in your life that had a huge, significant role in your spiritual journey. Now, if you've had such a person, I want you to raise your hands. Now, keep them up. I would like you all to to look around now. Now, keep your hands up. Higher, Lydia. There you go. Good job. Tim, how you doing? Now, if that person held... No, keep them up. If that person, everybody keep their hands up, if that person held the official title of pastor or priest, put your hand down. If they did, you can put your hand down. If they didn't, keep your hand up. Look around. No. Look around. The point is this. You were affected. You can put your hands on now. (laughs) You were affected, influenced by everyday, normal people. Ordinary people living day to day. Ordinary people believing and praying and loving and hoping and sacrificing and helping. All for the sake of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people living as priests, introducing people to God, introducing God to people, pointing out sacred moments in the everyday. Ordinary people answering God's call. You know, it's interesting about the story. David's name, there's 13 verses of text. David's name is not mentioned until the very end. And it says that Samuel anointed him, and the Lord came powerfully upon David. And for the first time in the story, David's name is mentioned. My prayer for you this morning is that same spirit 
would come powerfully upon you. And that you would begin to live in that anointing. That you'd begin to, to, be, to answer God's call. May you open your heart. May you open your life. May you open your very soul to the purposes of God. I pray that that same Holy Spirit would come upon you. I pray that you would receive the full power of God's Spirit. And you see, it's because of this table that you can have it. That Jesus would die on the cross and then tell his disciples, I got to go. The scriptures tell us he would send. He would send. And it's the same Holy Spirit that was in David, the same Holy Spirit that is within me, the pastor. It's the same Holy Spirit that is in all of you who would follow Christ. And in your ordinariness, you are amazingly special in spite of you. Because of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he and he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, When you eat this and you drink this, do this in, in remembrance of me. But this morning, I not only want you to remember Christ. See, some of you have to begin to remember who you are in Christ. And if you're wrestling with those feelings of just insignificance, which are not worth much, I pray that you would receive. pray that you would receive your identity this morning and who you are. I pray that you would be free from all of those whisperings of you can't, you shouldn't, you're not good enough. And that you'd be set free in who you are in Christ. And so you can come as you're ready and we will take communion together.